Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Well, um, continuing this morning in the book of Acts, we've been studying that, haven't we? And we're rolling into Acts chapter 3 today, okay? Acts chapter 3, and we're going to be looking this morning at the very first miracle that took place during the church age. It's a miracle uh, performed by the Apostle Peter, Acts chapter 3. There are about 20 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, and we're going to look at each one individually. But I do want to spend some time on this very first one because it teaches us some things and, and kind of sets a pattern for all the other miracles, okay? So that's what I want to talk to you about in the few minutes we have together this morning from Acts chapter 3. Uh, so um, how do you feel about miracles? Man, I wish we could just... Uh, yeah, you like them. All right. I think most people like them. Um, I, I wish we could go. I, I, if this is a small group, it'd be great to go around and get everybody's input on how you feel about miracles. I mean, do you believe that God is still in the miracle working business today? Or do you believe that miracles are part of a bygone era and God really doesn't do that sort of thing as much these days, or maybe you're somewhere in between. Um, some of you may have come to church today, and you are uh, you know, you're going, going through a difficult time and, and maybe struggling with something, and so you would answer that question, I'm not sure how I feel about miracles, I just know that I need one. Uh, I think most of us have been there before, uh, and volumes of theology have been written on the subject of miracles and how, you know, uh, today and in the Bible and all that sort of thing, they, they go way deeper than we can in one 30, 35-minute sermon. But there are some things in this first miracle that give us insight into all the others. I think it's, I think it's really a, a profound passage that if we're uh, open and receptive, uh, we can see some things going on in this miracle that teach us how to better understand all the others and, you know, our own lives and how our own lives relate to God working in miraculous ways. Well, how you and I view miracles today is somewhat dependent on how we define the word. Uh, We throw that word around a lot in our culture, you know, so the word miracle can mean different things to different people. We can use it very casually sometimes, right? So uh, somebody says... um, My alarm clock didn't go off this morning, so I was running late. And the kids were going nuts. I couldn't hardly get them out the door. My car keys weren't where they're supposed to be, so I couldn't couldn't find my car keys, so I was delayed by that. It's a miracle I even made it to church today. Well, (laughs) um, I'm not the miracle police, okay? So you can, you, can, you can call that a miracle if, that's, if you think that's what it was. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily use that word for, for that particular instance, okay? It doesn't really cross the threshold of what the Bible defines as a miracle. 
Um, but we use that word in different ways, and, and sometimes it kind of confuses. The true meaning of it is God defines it in the scriptures. Uh, some of you are old enough to remember this. Uh, 1980, it was uh, the Olympics, 1980, and it was the height of the Cold War between USA and Russia, USSR, and, and the young, inexperienced United States hockey team defeated the highly favored, a seemingly invincible USSR hockey team. And those of you who are old enough remember what it's called. It's called the, yeah, the miracle on ice. 20 years later, they made a great movie about those events. One of the best, in my opinion, because you remember from last Sunday, I'm a movie critic once I leave. So, um, uh, one of the best sports movies ever made, I think, uh, on, on those events of the 1980 Olympics. And the, and the movie is simply called Miracle. Miracle. Uh, well, uh, from a human perspective, that, that was highly unlikely that the Americans would defeat the Russians. But what we're reading about in Acts is way different than that. Uh, sometimes uh, people can define a miracle as, as something good that's highly unlikely to happen, but it happens anyway. Some people would define that as a miracle. Um, how about this on a more personal level? Somebody says, well, I, I had a job interview, and I was running late, and I was going to be late for this job interview, but I got in the car, I took off down the road, and for the first time ever, I hit every green light. And not only that, but when I arrived, there was a parking spot right there in front. So I was able to park, get there on time to my job interview, a miracle. Okay, okay. Again, hey, God did not anoint me the miracle police. I, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call that a miracle the way the Bible talks about them. I would put that more in the realm of the providence of God, okay, uh, but I don't, you can use the word how, how you'd like to use the word. My role as your pastor is just to help you see what God has to say about it, okay? And, and let's read God's word and, and, and kind of go a little deeper into this very first miracle of the early church, the church age, and, and draw some conclusions as to how God might want us to perceive miracles. Um, well, one definition of a miracle that theologians like to use is this, that a miracle is the direct intervention of God at a particular moment in time which produces a supernatural event for which there can be no human or scientific explanation. Okay, and it, wow, that's a, that's a hefty definition. And I guess as far as definitions go, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good one. Um, based on that definition... I have certainly witnessed God working in miraculous ways in the lives of people. Have you? I mean, I, I, I've, I think I've seen some things that uh, witnessed some things that, that well, I think fit that definition of God working in a, in a miraculous way. I've seen people who at one time had no interest in the things of God and no understanding of their need for Jesus I've seen people like that convicted of their sin, turning away from their sin, and turning to the Lord for salvation and following Him the rest of their life. 
that's, that's a miraculous thing to me. You know, it's like they were going one direction and they turned and went another direction. And it does, to some degree, pass the test of the, the definition there. I've seen relationships that I thought were doomed. You know, because of betrayal, perhaps uh, uh, resentment or bitterness. It just didn't, I just didn't think there's any hope for this relationship. And yet, through grace and forgiveness, God's power came along and put people back together and reconciled the relationship. I, it's miraculous to me. I, I have prayed with people. I've prayed with people here in this church about a medical diagnosis and, and you know the report came back and it, and it was bleak and it didn't look very good and the tumor was expanding and, 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 and we prayed and prayed and prayed and the next time they took a, had the test or the exam the tumor was gone. I mean no human or scientific explanation for that. I, again, I, 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 I've seen God work in miraculous ways and, I, and listen, I want you to understand, God can do anything now that he did back then, if he so chooses, okay? He can. Um, I don't think we should ever put God in a box and say he can't. Uh, God doesn't operate that way. But having said all that, okay, having said all that, you know, I, I'm a fan of being candid and transparent. Let's just be honest. The kind of miraculous things we read about Jesus doing in the Gospels, the kind of things we're going to read about today in the book of Acts and the apostles during these early days as God's establishing his church, the kind of miracles we read about in the Bible are a lot different than the sort of events that we call miracles today. I mean, again, you, you've, many, you've read the Gospels. You've read the, you've read the book of Acts. I mean, sight being restored to blind people, lame people walking, terminal diseases being healed in a moment, dead people being brought back to life. Okay. I mean, listen, I know God takes uh, pleasure in every detail of our lives, but there's a, lot, there's a big difference between those kinds of things and finding a parking spot in a crowded parking lot. Right? Let's just, be, let's just be honest about that. I mean, what you read about in the book of Acts are next-level, headline-grabbing, supernatural events that there is absolutely no human or natural explanation for. And because the miracles we read about in the book of Acts are so extraordinary... And maybe because sometimes we get so wrapped up in our own miracle or our desire for a, a miracle story, I, I think it's possible that you and I can miss the bigger picture and the deeper meaning behind these miracles. So here's what I want to do. Let's, uh, let's read the account. Okay, this is the very first miracle of the church age. Okay, Jesus has ascended back into heaven. That's Acts chapter 1. The Holy Spirit has descended upon his people and, and, and the church begins. That's Acts chapter 2. We talked about that last Sunday. And so let's pick it up in chapter 3 and we're going to read about this first miracle. And, and here's what I want, here's what I want to show you. Um, 
these miracles and acts are designed to give us something, to point us towards something, and to remind us of something. All right? So let's pick up the action, Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and um, here we go. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Well, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. (laughs) Wow. Now that passes all the tests of being a miracle, right? I mean, no surgeries, no um, rehabilitation. I mean, this guy goes from being lame since birth to walking and jumping. Just like that. Well, continues, verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So remember, God gives us these miracles. He wants to give us something. He wants to point us towards something. And he wants to remind us of something. Here's the first one. The miracles give us confirmation. They give us confirmation that Jesus is God. That becomes very evident in this very first miracle of the early church. Uh, The miracles show us that Jesus was not just your run-of-the-mill religious teacher. He was not not merely a great moral leader. The miracles show us that Jesus was was different than any religious leader before him or after him. They are God's way of confirming that Jesus and the message of salvation through him is of divine origin. It's one of the primary purposes of the miracles. One of the primary reasons God had it recorded by Luke here in the book of Acts. You see, here in the book of Acts, this is a foundational period for God's church. And God wanted to make a clear statement that this new religion, this Christianity thing, was not like all the other religions. Okay, It was just not the latest of many religious fads. The miracles make it different. This guy, stepping, jumping, running having been lame from birth, was designed by God to help us see that Jesus was different, supernatural, of divine origin, that Jesus was God. And that's why, by the way, you see in verse 6, we read it, how Peter immediately ties the miracle to Jesus, right? He says um, to this lame beggar, 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. In other words, this isn't about me. This isn't about my power. It's not about the apostles. It's not about religion. This is about Jesus. He's the one who has the power to heal you. So in his name, rise up and walk. Well, down in verse 11, you see how this miracle becomes a platform for the apostles to share with this crowd about Christ's divine nature. Again, these early days of the church, they want everybody to understand Jesus is different. He's not like all these other religious leaders. He's the Son of God. He's divine. And, and he has the power to save people from their sins. You see that in verse 11. Look what Peter says. It says, while the man, this healed man, while he held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? In other words, hey, it's not about us. This is not about us. This, this miracle is a platform for us to tell you about Jesus and help you understand that he's different. He is from God. Verse 13, he continues, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. A Barabbas, we, re we read about him in the Gospels. He continues, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, did God, did God care that this poor man was lame from birth? Of course he did. Of course he did. Those kinds of things break the heart of God. We'll see in just a moment that that's why God is he's so full of compassion. His, his desire and his goal is eventually to heal everybody. Okay, we'll see that in just a moment. I mean, was God happy to use his power to heal this man? Absolutely he was. But very clearly from Peter's words, that wasn't the main point. That wasn't the main objective. What God wanted to communicate from this beyond all the other things is that his son, Jesus Christ, was different. That he was the Savior. That he was the divine Son of God. And therefore, the message that he preached, that the apostles preached, and that we preach, the gospel, it has the same power to raise the dead to life, spiritually speaking. See, that's the main objective of this whole thing. And, and we, might, we might say, you know, well, okay, that makes sense. I mean, but, but come on, Pastor Andrew, that was 2,000 years ago that this miracle took place. Be kind of nice to have some of those right now, right? And just think of all the people who come to know Jesus if, if we had stuff happening like that right now. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see what you're saying. I mean, uh, um, that would be cool, and yeah, I, yeah, I get it. But, but I would also say um, two things. One, you know, not everyone who witnessed this miracle in Acts chapter 3, and not everyone who witnessed the miracles of Jesus ended up repenting of their sin and turning to faith in Christ. 
even though they saw it. We, we've talked about this in this series. Uh, how about the, uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. No human or natural explanation. Um, uh, two fish and five loaves, or was it five loaves and two fish? I don't know. Oh, you know, not very much. A picnic basket full, right? There's no human, no natural explanation how Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. And yet... By the time Jesus had been crucified, rose again, ascended back into heaven, how many devote, fo- devout followers of Christ were, were there? Well, we read about it, right? In Acts 2, about 120. About 120 who are committed followers of Jesus. So, <laughs> more miracles doesn't necessarily guarantee more converts uh, based on the New Testament. But secondly, you know, what I'd say to that is, you don't have to personally witness these miracles to believe that they happened, right? I mean, there's good evidence that they did happen. So just because you didn't see it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Uh, I didn't see Christopher Columbus discover America, but I think he did. I believe he did, and I've, and I've enjoyed the benefits of it. You, you, you know, you can, you can put your faith in Jesus and believe that, and again, there's, there's reasonable evidence that all these things happened. Just because you didn't see it doesn't mean you don't have to, you have to miss out on the benefits of it, of knowing Jesus, of believing in him and, and letting his power work in and through you. Because God's objective here is to just convince people, hey, my son He's divine. He's my son, my one and only son. He's different. He's from heaven. And therefore, listen to what he says when he talks about turning from your sin, putting your faith in him, so that you can receive the greatest miracle of all, eternal life, right? Sometimes we miss that when we get kind of caught up in the discussion on miracles. Miracles give us confirmation that Jesus is God. Well, secondly, though, and, um, and I want you to see this. It's important to notice uh, the details that Luke, inc- Luke's the author of Acts. Um, it's important for you to see the details that he includes. There are certain uh, elements in the account that he emphasizes, certain features of this miracle, and I want you to see them, and then I'll tell you why he does this. But take a look at verse 8. Uh, so, so Peter heals this guy, and here's what happens. It says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So the guy didn't just get up, he jumped to his feet. And Luke includes this, that he didn't just walk, he was walking and jumping and praising God. Now those little details in the account did not resonate as much with you and I, as they probably would have a first century Jewish person who grew up with the Hebrew scriptures, very familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, as the majority of this crowd that day did. Because this event would have triggered in the Jewish mind uh, uh, a memory of a very well-known Jewish prophecy from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 35. Uh, 700 years before Christ, okay? So 700 years before these events. And Isaiah is prophesying 
about what God's going to do when he comes back at the end of time. He's talking about that, that God's going to come back and he's going to fix everything. He's going to restore everything the way it should be. And most likely, when people witnessed this miracle in the first century, those Jewish people who were familiar with that prophecy immediately thought of what Isaiah had prophesied 700 years before. Uh, here's what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 35. It says, then, okay, this is at the end of time, okay, when God restores everything. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now remember how I said these miracles point us toward something, and, and here it is. The miracles point us toward the restoration of all things. That's what they do. A time is coming. Look, the Bible teaches that a time is coming, God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to fix all the problems. He's going to return things back to the way they were intended to be when God created the world before sin entered it and fouled everything up. That's what Isaiah's talking about here. And these miracles give us a little glimpse of what God has in mind about his ultimate plan for people. Well, Peter draws the same connection um, with Isaiah 35 here in his testimony. So uh, everybody you know, sees this guy walking and jumping. Like, what is going on? There's no way. This guy's been lame since birth. How could this be? So Peter tries to explain it to them by pointing them to Jesus. And look what he says in verse uh, 21. He says, heaven must receive him, that is Jesus, okay, he's talking about the ascension that we read about in Acts chapter 1. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. You see the reference? Yeah, Jesus says, he's gone back to heaven for now, but he's coming back when God determines it's time to restore everything to put things back the way they should be before sin entered the world and poisoned the earth that God created. The miracles point us toward the restoration of all things. And by the way, have you noticed that nearly all the miracles in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, practically, really, either indirectly or directly, all of them have something to do with the alleviation of human suffering. You notice that? Um, hungry people being fed, uh, sick people being healed, uh, giving sight to the blind, here in Acts 3, restoring a, lame's, a lame man's ability to walk. All these miracles that we read about in the book of Acts are all designed to alleviate the suffering or trouble of people. Well, why is that? I mean, why didn't, uh, you know, you don't find Peter, you know, uh, skywriting, right? I mean, uh, putting John 3.16 in the clouds. And, and you don't see that. You don't, and Jesus in the Gospels, you don't see Jesus doing, you know, parlor tricks with his, you know, miraculous power. X-ray vision or, or, you know, flying. You don't, there, there's, not, there's nothing like that. 
All these miracles are, are designed to, to target the suffering and the hurt and the hardship of people. Why is that? Well, because these miracles are pointing us toward the end of time when God comes back to restore what has been polluted and corrupted by sin. You know, God didn't, invite, didn't invent blindness. He did not invent lameness or poverty. He didn't create sickness or suffering or death. No, go back to Genesis. Go back to, to the Garden of Eden. It's when people turned away from the Lord that the wheels started to fall off of God's perfect creation. It was disobedience. It was sin. That's when things started to unravel. But here's the good news. God's going to come back and fix it. That's the promise of the gospel, right? That was, that was the, that's, what I, that's what Isaiah's talking about in Isaiah 35. God's coming back. He's going he's to right every wrong. He's going to solve the problems. He's going to put things back the way they should be. Just in the same way that this lame man is healed. It gives us a glimpse. It gives us a picture of God's promise to restore all things. You see the hope that gives to the person who has faith in Christ. And there's so much hope there. I mean, God hates suffering just as much as you and I do. God is not any more thrilled with the condition of things in our world than we are. And these miracles point us to the reality that there'll come a time. What's, what's Peter say? When the time for God to restore things come, he'll come back. And this is a promise to us. You know, I can't uh, promise that God will heal every disease you ever have. I cannot promise that God will alleviate the suffering um, that you're encountering this morning, whether it be, you know, financial hardship or physical hardship or relational strife. I, I can't, I mean, it, you know, it was about a year ago to the day, today actually, uh, almost, almost one year ago exactly, and I remember sharing this with you last, last year, when my, one of my best friends of all time, roommate in college, um, he had pancreatic cancer and passed away about, about almost exactly one year ago. Um, and, uh, and he's about my age, you know, and, and just, boy, he got cancer and he was three or four months, man, he was gone. And I prayed for miracles in my life. I prayed for healing for people. I, I never prayed as much as I did for Brian that God would heal him and, and restore him to health. Um, his wife prayed. His church prayed. I mean, we, a lot of people praying that, that he would get a miracle and God would heal him. And, uh, but he didn't. He didn't. He, he went home to be with the Lord. But don't you see the hope in this? Right? That, that miracles, okay, temporary miracles, healings, things, they're glimpses, glimpses of God's big plan when he comes back to restore the way things... Sometimes miracles are defined as God breaking into the natural order of things. But I would submit to you that no, 
miracles are restoring the natural order of things. You know, the way God had originally intended with no death or sorrow or, or, or sickness or any of that, that's, that was God's original intent. But when sin entered the world, things broke. They, they became not the way he intended. But that's not the end of the story, right? Miracles remind us it's not the end. Jesus will come back and he will restore and so, eventually, if you're a believer in Christ, you'll get your miracle, okay? You're going to get your miracle, because the greatest miracle of all is eternal life, and that's only found in the name of Jesus, see? Well, there's, a, there's one more thing. There, the miracles remind us that salvation is our greatest need You know, virtually every miracle you read about in the Gospels and the book of Acts has a salvation element to it. It points us to the greatest miracle, okay? The fact that your sins and my sins can be forgiven, that God came down from heaven in the form of Jesus and and gave us the gospel so we can believe in him and experience eternal life. So every New Testament miracle gives us a picture of salvation. Spiritually speaking, our eyes are blind and they need to be opened. Spiritually speaking, our minds are paralyzed. They need to be restored. Our souls are dead. They need to be brought back to life. Spiritually speaking, you see, in every miracle you can find an element of salvation, which is ultimately our greatest need. Did you notice what Peter said to this layman in verse 6? He was about to heal him. And he said in verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And it's almost like Peter is saying to him, Look, you're looking for something from me that you think you need, silver or gold. But I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to give you something much better, something much deeper something far more meaningful than earthly treasure. So what did he give him? Well, our initial answer would be, well, he healed him. He healed him, right? I mean, he gave him his, he gave him his legs back. So, so that's better than silver or gold, right? Well, that, that's for sure. But that's not all that Peter gave him. And when you get down to verse 16, when Peter tries to give the explanation as to what's going on here to this crowd of onlookers. Look what he says. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. This lame man showed his faith in Christ And the message that Peter was proclaiming to him simply by reaching out and taking Peter's hand. I mean, he'd been lame since birth. What gave him the idea that he could ever stand up? He'd never been able to do that. He didn't even know what it was like. But in faith, he didn't just stand up. (laughs) He jumped up. And, And what Peter is saying here is that, look, he wasn't just healed physically. He was healed spiritually by faith in the name of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, this miracle is, is very similar to, to one that, uh, that Luke records in his gospel. So Luke wrote Acts, and he wrote the, the, the gospel according to Luke. And in Luke chapter 5, and you kind of wonder if maybe he had this miracle in mind of Jesus, but many of you have read about it. So it's a very similar situation during the gospels. And um, th- some, this uh, la- a paralyzed man his friends bring him to Jesus, and they put him before Jesus. You know, he's, he's lame, he's broken, he's, you know, in need, of, in need of healing. And Jesus walks up to this guy, and Jesus says to him, Son, your sins have been forgiven. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, if I was that guy, I would be like, okay, Jesus, well, that, that's nice. Uh, we can talk about the religious stuff later if you want to. Um, but I don't know if you could tell or not. Uh, my my greatest need right now is to be able to walk, all right? And then we can talk about the sin stuff and all that. Just heal me so I can walk. But Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And by simply saying that, your sins are forgiven, it's like Jesus is saying to this guy, you think you know what your greatest need is, but that's not really what you need. I know your greatest need. You think you know what's going to make you happy, what's going to satisfy you. You're going to be able to walk again. But actually, your need goes much deeper than that. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven, you see. You think that being able to walk is going to fulfill your life? Hey, there's a lot of people walking around who are miserable. There's a lot of people who can walk who are empty. The need of the human heart goes well beyond usually what we think we need. And, and God wants to use these miracles to remind us of our greatest need. It's not the healing of the body. The greatest need is the healing of the soul. The forgiveness of sins that leads to eternal life. Now Jesus did end up healing this man's of his paralysis but this account is it's a reminder to us that as bad as suffering is and as committed as god is to ending suffering and he will suffering is not our primary problem sin is our primary problem and and i can't promise listen i can't promise your body will be healed physically. I can't promise your financial need will be met. I can't promise a miracle that your relationship will come back together. I can't promise any of those things. That's in the Lord's hands. He's, he's, he's the miracle worker. He's the great physician. I trust him with all those things. Some people get them. Some people don't. I can't promise that. Here's what I know. The answer to your greatest need and the answer to my greatest need, my biggest problem, is here available today through Jesus Christ. Okay? That's what I know. That your biggest problem, my biggest problem, our sin problem has already been addressed. Jesus Christ died on a cross. He rose again. And he'll come back and restore everything else. But the gospel is available to you today. Salvation is available to you today. Have you opened up your life to let Jesus meet your greatest need, to solve your biggest problem. That's the message of the gospel.
You know, sometimes we think we know what we need. We think we know what will make us happy or, or fulfilled. Silver and gold, um, uh, 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 new job, uh, promotion, a new relationship, uh, restored health. Yeah, listen, all those things can be wonderful blessings of God. We all pray for those types of things. God loves to grant requests of his children. He's a benevolent father, to be sure. But don't ever think that any of those things are going to address your greatest need or, or make you ultimately happy or satisfied. See, that's only found in Jesus and the salvation you experience through him. I've been reading uh, some prayers of John Newton. Uh, some of you know that name, John Newton. He lived in the 18th century, and he was a, uh, he was a wicked, materialistic, greedy slave trader. And um, God miraculously intervened in his life, and, and he, he, turned his, he turned his life over to the Lord, and God forgave him, and he became a tremendous uh, advocate for freedom and an abolitionist the rest of his life. God, he just wanted to eradicate the world of slavery because he knew how horrific it was. So he's really got a great testimony, but that's not really what he's known for. What John Newton's primarily known for is that he wrote the words to the song Amazing Grace. And... Um, there's some prayers that have been preserved of John Newton's, and I was reading this one recently, and man, it made me think of this point, that how the miracles remind us that our greatest need is for salvation, and that what we're really looking for, we don't always know what we're looking for. We think we know what will satisfy. We just got to find our satisfaction and fulfillment in Jesus, and Newton's prayer reminds me of that, and we'll close with this. Here's what John Newton wrote uh, circa 1779, okay, a long time ago. Father, your son Jesus Christ gives me the meaning, value, and security I often look for in other things. Help me to rejoice in him more fully than I do. Break my schemes of trying to find earthly joy so I may find my all in thee. Wow, that's a great prayer, isn't it? We come up with our schemes of finding earthly joy. If I got this, if I, God does this, or you know, I, I attain this status, or this disease gets healed, or, or we, we come up with these, here's, here's what I need, silver and gold, you know, th- think, temporary earthly things that we think are going to satisfy us and make us happy. And while those things can be tremendous blessings from a loving father, nothing's going to satisfy your soul or give you the fulfillment that you need more than Jesus Okay, God, break us. Break us of our schemes of trying to find earthly joy so that we may find our all in thee.